Lord God, as we come before you right now with your word that you gave us open before us, I ask that you speak to us through these words, the words written in this book, and through the message that I'm about to give, Lord. Lord, you've prepared this passage specifically for everyone here. And I ask that the hearts of those here right now will be open to it, open to receive it. And those who are on their way here or trying to make it here, Lord, I just pray that you Watch over them, protect them, get them, to, get them here safe, Lord. And as we get to, and as we prepare this week for Thanksgiving, Lord, I ask that we always remember all those things, not just on that day, but every single day. Remember all the blessings that you've bestowed upon us, that you've given us, Lord. May we be thankful every single day for everything you've given us, Lord. The life you've given us, the children you've given us, the mind you've given us, your word you've given us, and especially Jesus Christ without him we would be hopelessly lost thank you again and ask that you speak to us this morning fill this room with your Holy Spirit and fill us as well we pray these things in Jesus name amen have you guys ever have you guys ever done or said anything that was so spectacular that you kind of just felt up here. You were just like, oh man, I feel great. I mean, either it was a test you, you, you aced or whether it was an accomplishment you made and, and, and you received praise for it and you, people were patting your back and telling you, hey, great job, good, you know, you're outstanding. I think many of us have been there at one time or another. You know, we we do something or we say something and and it just seems like wow you know everyone is just you know praising us for it and everyone is just congratulating for us and, and it feels like we're on top of a mountain you know we almost feel like hey yeah this is awesome I feel great and then you either do something or say something that makes you feel like you just want to bury yourself in a deep dark hole you know, you, you're at this high place and all of a sudden, again, you say or do something and you're like, man, why did I say that? Why did I do that? And now you're just feeling, you're just in the pits and you're like, oh man, this is horrible. Well, you're not alone. You're not alone. In our story this morning, we're going to see how one of the best figures, one of the best um well-known characters in the Bible experienced just that. One minute he was 
high above the mountains and he was just like blessed and and he did he, what he said and how he said it was just absolutely beautiful absolutely amazing and then he said something that or he does something that uh, almost kind of just kind of deflates him um, and he's now in the pits or he feels I'm sure he felt horrible for what he said again he we have characters in our Bible that experience just that but as we go through this passage there's something far more greater that Jesus wants us to understand in these in this particular passage we're going to go through the Apostle Peter was just the person that God used to show us something about the importance of what we believe. He was just an instrument. He was just a person. Um, and unfortunately, again, he it was what he did and what he said was it was done as an example for us. It was God used him to show us something about the importance of what we believe. Because when it comes down to it, what you believe absolutely matters. What you believe about who Jesus Christ, about who Jesus Christ is, absolutely matters. So if you uh, have your Bibles, if you want to grab a Bible, we're going to be in Mark chapter 8. We're gonna con we're in, we've been covering Mark's gospel. Um, at this point, we've last week we started with with Mark, um, and we're going to continue this week. So again, Mark chapter Mark chapter eight, and we're going to be starting in verse twenty-seven. Mark chapter eight, verse twenty-seven. Jesus went out with his disciples to the villages of. Caesarea, Caesarea Philippi and on the road he asked the disciples who do people say that I am they answered him John the Baptist others Elijah still others one of the prophets but you he asked them again who do you say that I am Peter answered him you are the Messiah and he strictly warned them to tell no one about him now I'm going to stop there, and I'm going to cover what this, what this, again, what this particular, what these verses are saying. Jesus and his disciples were now in the area of uh, Caesarea Philippi, which is about 25, 25 miles north of the Sea of Galilee. If you can remember back to those maps I've been showing you, the, the Sea of Galilee was that was that lake area that's there above well, where Israel's at. And about 25, 25 miles north of that is where, uh, the, where the area of, of Caesarea, um, Caesarea Philippi is. And he's there in the villages teaching and preaching, um, healing, driving out demons. As they were walking along one of the roads, Jesus asked one of his companions, or asked all, all 12 of his companions, this particular question. Who do people say that I am? Now, there are some who would argue that Jesus was possibly experiencing some kind of existential conundrum and was seeking validation through the opinion of others. In other words, 
people people might say that he was unsure about himself, that he wasn't um, that he was asking because he was trying to get um, validation. He wanted to feel he was having issues about who he was and wanted to get validation from some from the opinion of others. However, as we will soon see. He was asking this question as an introduction to a far more important question that he was going to ask. You see, Jesus absolutely knew who he was. He had no doubt about it. He never doubted his purpose and his existence as God's only begotten son. Now, his purpose for asking this initial question was for a couple of reasons. One was to allow the disciples to differentiate what others thought of him and what they believed about him through what they had already seen and experienced so far. So according to disciples, these were some of the opinions people had about Jesus. Now some thought he was another, just like John the Baptist, just another John the Baptist. Now why would they say that? Well, if you think about John the Baptist and, and the story about John the Baptist, what do we know about him? Now, although they, they were different people, there were some similarities. They had a similar message. They both were baptizing and preaching repentance. Also, they both had disciples and didn't conform to the structure set up by the religious authorities of that time. So you see how people might have said, oh, he's just like John the Baptist. You know, he's just another John the Baptist. Now some thought he was just, he was like Elijah or like another Elijah. Now, if you're not familiar with the story of, of Elijah, he was an Old Testament prophet. His story is told in 1 Kings chapter 17. That's where it begins. And then it pretty much ends in, in 2 Kings chapter two. Now, Elijah arrived on the scene when Israel was ruled by Ahab, one of the most evilest kings of that time. Like Jesus, Elijah was bold in truth and stood up against opposition. And was therefore, and because of that, he was persecuted and despised. Now, what's unique about him about Elijah, and again, I encourage you guys, if you don't know the story, is that he never died. He was one of the few characters in the Bible that never died. You guys remember that story of a chariot coming down, a chariot of fire coming down and taking Elijah up to heaven. Well, that was, again, his story. He never died. He was taken up to heaven in a chariot of fire. So people, you know, it's, again, it's understandable. People thought he might have been either Elijah or another Elijah. Now some, according now, we're not given our, in, in our text here, we're not given this name, but according to Matthew 16, some also compared him to Jeremiah. Now who was Jeremiah? Jeremiah, again, was another Old Testament prophet. He proclaimed God's judgment against Israel for their idolatry, for their unfaithfulness to the covenant made between them and God, and their absolute obstinate disobedience of God's will. Like Jesus, Jeremiah remained faithful in spite of hardships. 
So you can see how people might have made similarities and been like, hey, maybe he is Elijah, maybe he is Jeremiah, and he's just another, you know, if you think about how, where, what he was saying and what he was preaching, the message he was giving, it was pretty similar as these other, um, other prophets. And not only that, but people were beginning to see that the religious leaders didn't like him. They just didn't, you know, they weren't getting along with him. They despised him, and he was, and he was being rejected. Now, um, according again to Luke nine, Luke nine, 9 Luke nine nineteen, there were others who thought that Jesus was one of the other prophets who had risen again. So these were the prevalent thoughts of that time. These were what people believed during that time. That was the view then. What if Jesus was to ask this question today? What if Jesus was to who do people say that I am? Although we aren't living in ancient Israel, we're not li living it in, in, you know, with, with the Hebrews during this time, I think there are many views today about who people say that Jesus is. Ask any of your friends that are not Christians. Ask, um, ask them, who do you say Jesus is? And you're going to get a variety of opinions. Now, here are some of the most popular, what, what some of the most popular religions say about Jesus. Because you're going to have people's opinions, and then you're going to have, you know, religious opinions. And we know that there are, there's so many religions out there. There's thousands of religions out there that have, and a lot of them have an idea or have said something about who Jesus is. Now here are just a few. I'm not going to name all of them. Here are just a few. For the Jews, this is, how they, this is what they think about Jesus. This is what they say about Jesus. That Jesus was a largely recognized, he was largely recognized as a popular teacher who was revered by his followers and respected by his opponents. They see him that he was a great rabbi, a great teacher. You know, he... He definitely made a name for himself. They believed, yeah, he was a real person. However, he wasn't the Messiah. They believed that he wasn't the chosen one of God, the chosen one of God. They reject Jesus as God in the person of the Trinity, and he's and that he's not a mediator to God. Now, what about Muslims? What do they believe? What do they believe about Jesus? Well, they believe that Jesus is just one of God's highest ranking and most beloved prophets. They think he's just a prophet of God. Now, his name is mentioned in the Quran. He is, you know, he is mentioned in there, but, but again, they, they only mention him as a prophet. They only believe that he's, he was a prophet. That there was, again, that he was, they believe that he wasn't God. That he wasn't, um, he wasn't, the incarnate or nor the son of God just the prophet what about Mormons what do Mormons believe what do Mormons say about Jesus they believe that God created Jesus through through their through a relationship with one of his celestial wives in fact according to the to the Mormon publication pearl of great price even Satan himself was a son of God and a brother of Jesus, equal with Jesus in nature. So again, that's their view. 
that he was, you know, just a god or just, um, you know, one of many gods. What about atheists? Do atheists believe in Jesus? A lot of them would say, yeah, yeah he's, he's a real character, he's a real person, he, he really lived back then. But because they don't believe in God, they don't believe that he was God. They don't believe that he was, there was anything holy about him. That he was just another good teacher, that he was just another good person that taught good things and that, you know, that showed us, maybe gave us an example of how to live our life. But that he wasn't God. So as you can see, just as it was back in Jesus' time, there were many views and opinions about who Jesus was. Now, had this been the end of the conversation, had he just left it at that, had he just say, who do people say that I am? It would have, yeah, it would have seemed as if Jesus was just trying to find out what others thought about him. For the, in the apostles' mind, they probably would have just seen it as like, you know, he just wants to know the opinions of others, what others think about him. You know, uh, who knows, but it, that wasn't it. He wasn't done there. However, you know, the thing is, rather than leaving it there, Jesus asked all 12 of his disciples in verse 29, but you, who do you say that I am? The main reason Jesus wanted them to answer who do people say that I am was for them to answer this new question apart from those other opinions, apart from those other views. He wanted to find out from them, from each, each one of them, who they thought Jesus was. You see, Jesus' intention was for them to come to a place where they had to either choose, where they had to choose to either believe what everyone else believed about him or make a decision to believe for themselves who he, who he was based on their own experience and evidence so far. Do you understand what I mean? He wanted to find out for themselves. He wanted them to find out for themselves either that either they were going to choose to believe what others thought about him or make a decision for themselves. Now, if you consider yourself a Christian, if you consider yourself a follower of Christ, how would you answer that fundamental question Jesus ask, asked? But you, who do you say that I am? Now, I want you to think about that question for a minute. I want you to seriously think about who it is that's asking and how your answer significantly matters. Who do you say Jesus is? Let me give you an example of what I'm trying to get at. If I was to ask my wife, who do you say that I am? And she was to answer, oh, you're, you're, you're a man that I married. Her answer would be factually correct. It would be considered factually correct. I mean, there's nothing wrong with what she's saying. It's correct. However, if she was the, if if she was to answer, "You're my husband." Not only would that also factually be correct, but it would also convey much deeper understanding of who I am to her and what she believed about our relationship. 
it has a much more uh, deeper meaning when she really understands who I am, when she believes that I'm her husband. What I'm trying to illustrate here is that there is a distinction between just knowing things about someone and actually believing that those things are true. You can know all these things about Jesus. You can memorize your Bible, you can go to church, you can go to Bible studies, you can know things. But do you really, really know him? Who do you say that he is? Guys, when it comes to Jesus Christ, I've discovered that people typically fall into these four categories. There are some who have an incorrect or false understanding of who Christ is. There are others who have no knowledge or no understanding of who Jesus is. Some people have a knowledge, as I mentioned earlier. Some people have a knowledge about him, but have no understanding. They haven't let him, they haven't allowed him to come in. And then there are those who believe in him because they've come to know him. So keeping in mind Jesus' question, who do you say that I am? What category would you fall into? Where among that category, within that, those categories I just mentioned, would you fall into? Honestly, I mean, you don't have to answer that question to me. Um, God knows. God knows your heart. God knows where you're at. This is, the, this is something between you and the Lord. Where would you fall? Do you know him? Do, I mean, do you have a false understanding of him? Do you have no knowledge of him at all? Or do you know him but you just don't, you know, you don't understand him? I think there's a lot of people in, within those categories. I've spoken to a lot of people who say, yeah, I just don't get it. I don't understand it. You know, it doesn't click. Or I, or I just, you know... Or they tell me things about who they think Jesus is and what do they think he's done. And, you know, I had a, you know, uh, I, I was talking to someone the other day and, and they were trying to tell me something about scripture. And they were completely off. They were, they were trying to tell me something about what it said in a particular passage. And in a certain book... And as I turned there, because he, he told me to turn there, as I turned there, he was quoting all the way from back here in the Old Testament. I mean, there, there, there's people who just don't have a, have a, just have an incorrect understanding. Where would you fall? What category would you fall into, honestly? Well, let me just share with you what I've discovered, what I've also discovered. If you have an incorrect or false understanding of Jesus, come to him. Come to him and he will reveal the truth about who he is. If you've never known Jesus Christ, come to him and he will make himself known to you. If you've known him but have never believed in him, come to him so that you will know and believe. Friends, I mean, and, and you, 
you here right now as a church, we're, we're a family and we're, we're friends. And, and so what I want to tell you is that we have a God who is patient and will work in unique and extraordinary ways to reveal his abundant love and mercy. But guess what? He will never force anyone to believe in him. He will never force you. He will never take you by the throat and say, you need to believe in me right now. That isn't love. That isn't um, a relationship. God isn't an abusive God. God isn't a, a God that is just, um, you know, wants to control you. I love my wife, not because I have to, but because I want to, because I know that how, how good she is to me. I love Jesus Christ. I love God because I know what he's done in my life. I know what he's, uh, I know what Jesus Christ accomplished on the cross. That's why I love him so much. I choose to come to him. I choose to, to fall before him and worship him because I know who he is. Let me ask you, do you know who he is? Who do you say he is? So many opinions out there. Jesus Christ desires nothing more than for you to want to know him, fall in love with him, because you've decided to believe in him. So does it really matter how you answer that question? Does it really matter how you answer that particular question? Who do you say that I am? Yes, it absolutely matters because what you believe about Jesus will determine how you live your life and how you view the world around you. If you really believe that Jesus was the Son of God, if you really believe that Jesus is the Savior of the world, you're going to live your life for that. You're going to live your life really living, like really seeing this world and seeing yourself in light of what he's done. You know, it's almost, once you come to an understanding, it's almost as if God puts these goggles on you and you start seeing everything differently. Your choices, your decisions will be will be seen through these goggles. Now, if you think that he's just a good teacher, if you think he wasn't God, if you think there was nothing special about him, then yeah, it's, he's not going to be important to you. He's not going to seem. He's not going to seem like he's anything. He's just going to be another human being. He's just another person. So you see, what you believe about who Jesus is matters. Absolutely matters. Let's look at Peter's response here again. Out of the 12 apostles, Peter decides to speak up. He almost, 
he almost it almost seems like he designated himself as the as the leader of the clan, leader of the group, and he speaks up he speaks up and answers Jesus's question by saying, "You are the Messiah." Jesus, you're the Messiah. Now, if you read it, it may, if you read it just like plain without really understanding, it may seem as if Jesus was just trying, as if Peter was just trying to get some brownie points. Like he was just trying to suck up to Jesus and, and say, hey, you know, you're the Messiah. But I don't believe this was the case. I don't believe G, I don't believe Peter was sucking up. I don't believe that he was um, trying to get any brownie points. I believe he was, you know, well, let me show you. I'm going to turn, I'm going to, in Matthew's gospel, we're given more details about what was said. Let me read that to you. This is what, this is what Matthew said in his, in his account. It says in Matthew chapter 16, verses 16 and 17, Simon Peter answered, You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And Jesus responded, Simon of Jonah, you are blessed because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father in heaven. So according to Jesus, Peter's response was not only sincere, but it, divine, but it was also divinely revealed to him by God. Do you believe the same thing? Do you believe that Jesus was the Messiah? Now, I do, I do think that finally seeing Jesus for who he is comes from God. He reveals that to you. He shows you who he is. You know, as I mentioned before, there's a lot of people who have a head knowledge. We have a lot of good knowledge about what the Bible says and have gone to school, have gone to colleges, have gone to seminaries, have doctorate degrees on theology. But I've heard of stories of people that never actually accepted him into their heart, who have never made that step of, never taken that step of faith and allow God to reveal who Jesus is. So you see, that matters. That absolutely matters. For Peter, the moment God revealed to him who Jesus was, everything up to that point, everything up to that particular point in time, finally made sense. It all, it all just finally came together. And, G, and Peter's heart was so open to wanting to understand who Jesus was that God finally God revealed it to him. You see, this is an example of what happens when God reveals truth to anyone. When God reveals truth, sometimes it, it, it has a tendency to smack us straight in the face. It has a tendency of just, you know, making such an impact that we're like, whoa. You know, you ever heard those word, that word, in, in, having an epiphany? You know, it, it's just like when God finally reveals it to you, you're like, wow, this is absolutely amazing. This is incredible. I know that I've experienced it throughout my life. And if you've ever again wanted to experience that in your life, again, it's just a matter of surrendering. 
you know, let go of that, that pride, let go of that selfishness, let go of that pain, of that hurt, and just surrender it to him and say, here, Lord, this is yours. I want to know you. I want to just understand you. I want to be part of you. A lot of times it's our own pride that's holding us back. That's holding the spirit back from saying, from coming in and revealing these deep truths into our lives. Now, I, I imagine for Peter, again, it, it's, it's almost as if, let's say someone gave you a 1,000-piece puzzle without telling you what the picture was. And you had to figure it out for yourself. You know, I, I'm the kind of person, if I'm, I used to do a lot of puzzles, and the only way I could do it is if I can plop the picture right there, right in front of me at the table, and I can start looking at the picture and putting the pieces together. Well, imagine being given a puzzle without knowing what that picture is. Now, as you start putting these pieces together, you start to see an image, you start to see something, but you just don't get it. This doesn't click. It doesn't... It's recognizable. You know you've probably seen it before. It just doesn't, it doesn't register in your head. Now imagine if I came by and leaned over and whispered into your ear, it's a picture of a house. And I was specific about what kind of house it was. I think... How, how do you think you would react? How do you think you'd react? You'd probably jump up and be like, yeah, it's a house. It's a house. I see it now. I get it. I get it. And then everything just, you know, you're like, okay, well, I need to start, you know, working on these pieces. And, and, and then God starts, you know, handing you more pieces to put, you know, put the puzzle together. And in the end, you finally see it. You finally see that house. Well, this is what I believe was was what going was was going on with Peter, and that what and what happens with us as well. We have an idea, we have a clue of who Jesus is, but it's not until again God whispers in our ears, when we're ready for it. Hey, it's Jesus. He's the Messiah. He's the Christ. But why do you think, why do you think in verse 30, why do you think he told them, why do you think he warned them in verse 30 not to tell anybody? Why do you think he told them not to tell anyone about, who, about what, what just happened, about what was revealed? Well, if God was able to reveal this truth to Peter, he can reveal it to others as well. He wanted people to come to that understanding on their own. Yes, you know, the apostles and, and were witness, the apostles were witnesses. They were used by God to be witnesses of Christ and what Christ was doing. And, to, and we're witnesses. 
and we can talk about Christ and we can share Christ, but we can never convince them by our power alone, by who we are, we can never actually reveal who Christ truly is. As I mentioned already, that comes from God. That absolutely comes from God. So what, what Jesus was, was maybe trying to say here was, hey, I want these people to find out for themselves. I want God to just, I want them to come and see what I've done and experience these miracles, experience these healings. And I want God to reveal who I am to them. A lot of times, people are easily persuaded, people are easily convinced about somebody, concerning somebody. I mean, we, you know, a good example is, is this past election cycle we went through. All the media, all the people were just throwing ideas, throwing suggestions, throwing things about who one candidate was or who the, what the other candidate was doing or, you know, but... The truth is what we need to do is find out for ourselves. Find out for ourselves who that person is. And again, without going on without getting out and going on a tangent here, that's what we need to do with Jesus Christ. That's what we need to do. You as an individual, you as a person, find out who Jesus Christ is. I'm not responsible for your own salvation. Your parents aren't responsible for your own salvation. You are responsible to find out who Jesus is. You come to, there's, there's a certain age that you come to where you are accountable to God for yourself and your actions and what you say and what you do and what you believe. See, I'm assured of my salvation. I know where I'm at. I know where I'm going. When I get to heaven, you know, when, when actually when you get to heaven, you can say, you know what? You know what, God, I, I didn't know you because my, it's my parents' fault. They didn't teach me correctly. I didn't know you because so-and-so didn't tell me about who you are. No, you've heard the messages. You've heard the preachings. You've heard the teachings. There, you know for, for, for a fact those times, those opportunities that God has given you to accept them. And either you've chosen to believe it, either you've chosen to accept those opportunities, or not. Again, you're accountable. You're accountable for yourself. Now, I would, believe me, I would love nothing more than to say, hey, you know what, yeah, hey, I vouch for this person and, you know, I want this person to come with me. But I can't. Jesus Christ himself has done that. Jesus Christ himself, his blood, him on the cross was our ticket. It is our ticket. And it's a free ticket that he's given us. And all you've got to do is accept it. All you've got to see is, all you've got to do is, yes, Lord. I accept it. Well, I wanna. I really wanted to finish um, on the next. Uh, I wanted to finish up by looking at the next three verses. I think we might have time here. 
So continuing on to uh, verse 27. I'm sorry, verse 20, verse 31, I'm sorry. It says in Mark chapter 8, verse 31, Then he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the scribes, be killed and rise after three days. He was openly talking about this. So Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning around and looking at his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan, because you're not thinking about God's concerns, but man's. Wow, what a what amazing, you know, what a shocking, amazing and shocking um, thing we see here. Narrative, the narrative we see here. First we see Peter rebuking, and then Jesus turns around and, and, and rebukes him. Now, the, now, verse, the end of verse 33, you might have heard it before. Sometimes people joke around, hey, you know, people say something and that's suggestive or maybe tempting, and, and people will say, oh, get behind me, Satan. Well, there's, there's, a, that, there's a little bit of misunderstanding in that, but I want to explain what's going on here. And I want, to, I want to point out something significant about what we just read. Jesus didn't begin to teach them about who he was, I'm sorry, Jesus didn't begin to teach them about how he was going to suffer, be rejected, be killed, and rise from the dead until after he first revealed to them that he was the Christ. That he was the Messiah. Now this is an important point. This is absolutely important. Because if people first don't understand that Jesus is the Messiah, that Jesus is the Christ, they will not understand why he had to die on the cross. They won't understand the necessity of the, of the, of the cross. If you want to share your faith more effectively, if you want to share Christ more effectively, in an effective manner, begin by explaining to people who Jesus is first. Begin by explaining who Jesus is. Now, once they seem to understand who Jesus is, once they get that, you know, that there's that, oh, okay, I, I, I get, I get what you're saying. I know, you know, I, I see who Jesus, I see what you're, what you're saying about Jesus Christ. Then. You can begin to explain why he had to die on the cross. Then you can begin to explain the necessity of him being tortured, whipped, beaten, slapped, spat on, nailed to a cross, the thorn and the thorn of crowns on his head and a spear thrown right into his side, basically him being stabbed by a spear right in, his, right in his side. You can begin to explain the necessity of the cross, why that was necessary. And then, once they're able to grasp 
the necessity of the cross, you can share the significance of his resurrection. Why that resurrection is so important. What the resurrection means for the believer. And if you don't already know, him, Jesus Christ rising from the dead, that is proof in and of itself that there is such thing as eternal life. He is the firstborn. He is the first fruit of, uh, of eternal life. Had that not happened, there would still be doubts about whether we live forever, whether there is eternal eternity, whether we are going to live in eternity. That's why the, his resurrection was so important. He was the first one. Just like Adam was the first one. He was the first one. He, him rising from the dead, was an example. Was just a, He was the first one out of all the believers. Out of What's eventually going to happen is that we're all going to have new bodies. And we're all going to... You know, when we die, we're going to be with the Lord. We're going to be resurrected with new bodies. And those of us that the Bible says that those who are living will be caught up in heaven and will be giving new bodies. These bodies, what we have, are just are tents. They're only seeds of the glory that's to come, of what really, really matters. So again, if you want to be effective... Help people understand who Jesus is. Talk about the cross. And talk about the resurrection. If you do it in any other order, there might be some confusion. I mean, there's it's possible. I've heard it done. But, you know, it, might, it may cause some confusion. I'm not telling you not to do it. But I'm just telling you, if, if you want to be more effective with your witness... If you want to be more effective about sharing your faith, it's a good way to do it. Now in verse 32, verse 32 tells us that Jesus was talking about these things openly. He was very open about these things. He wasn't, he wasn't hiding it. He wasn't saying, well, um, I, I might die. You know, there might be some kind of resurrection or there might be some rejection. and Maybe, maybe I'll die. I don't know. He was openly and plainly talking about it. There was no ambiguity about what he was going to go through. It was just like me telling you, hey, you know what? I'm going to suffer. I'm going to be rejected. I'm going to die, but I'm going to rise again. And I was just, you know, talking about this openly and plainly. I have no doubt that these disciples, they loved Jesus. They absolutely cared about him. But what do you, how would you, how would you react if someone that you loved and cared about kept talking about suffering and rejection and death and resurrection? Do you blame Peter for getting up and saying, all right, stop it. Nothing's going to happen to you. You're going to be okay. No, I don't, I, I personally don't blame him. I mean, um, but unfortunately though, it, it, it seems as if Peter had a problem with this message that Jesus was, was teaching. He was, he was it, it bothered him so much 
that he finally felt the need to rebuke Jesus. Again, imagine if I just kept talking about, hey, I'm going to die. I'm going to suffer. I'm going to be rejected. I know it's hard. I've, I've heard people talk that way, you know, and it's difficult, especially if you care about them. So Peter, when he rebukes him, he was essentially telling Jesus, okay, quit it. Quit it. You're the Christ. You're not going to suffer or be rejected. And you're certainly not going to die. No way. You're the Christ. You're the King of Kings. You're the Messiah. This goes to show that although Peter knew what Jesus that Jesus was the Christ, he still didn't understand what that meant. He still didn't see the big picture. He still didn't understand what the point was for Jesus' coming. Peter, again, didn't see the bigger picture. He wasn't able to fully understand that there, was, that there is no crown without the cross. And it wasn't until after Jesus' resurrection. It wasn't until after he, the Holy Spirit fell upon him at, at Pentecost that he finally began to realize and understand that concept. Jesus had his own, I mean, Peter had his own idea about Jesus. He didn't see, again, the bigger picture. Now look how, that look, uh, how Jesus responds to Peter's, Peter's rebuke in verse 33. He rebukes, Jesus rebukes the person rebuking him by telling him, Get behind me, Satan, because you're not thinking about God's concerns, but man's. Again, a lot of people would probably interpret this verse as saying that, that Peter was actually possessed by the devil. But no, this doesn't mean that Peter was possessed by a demon or that he was possessed by Satan. Rather, at this particular moment, at this particular instant, he was acting as a spokesman for Satan, at, again, at that moment. He was basically the megaphone for Satan's plans. Does that mean he was possessed? No, absolutely not. You see, Peter was encouraging Jesus to follow the route that Satan suggested. That Satan suggested. If you remember when Jesus was being tempted in the desert, Satan was tempting him with, with glory, giving him, hey, if you, you can have this entire kingdom, you can have the wealth and you can have it all if you just bow down before me he was encouraging Jesus to have the glory without the cross he was encouraging him just hey you can have it all you can have a king you can have a kingdom you can have the world you don't have to go on the cross. You don't have to die. You don't have to suffer. And see, that's why Jesus had to respond the way he did. You see, because Peter could only see and hear 
I'm sorry, because Peter could only see the here and now and not the bigger picture, his mind was set on man's interests and not God's. So Peter, so Jesus had a rebuke and he said, get behind me. None of this, none of this junk. You don't know God's plans. You don't understand God's plans. You have, your mind is on man's plans, but not on God's plans. This passage actually, these three verses actually encourage me. Because there will be times when we blow it as Christians as well. There will be times where we mess up also, where we blow it. There will be times we say and do things without thinking about it. We may, be, get, we may get be caught up in the moment and say something that isn't true because it seems right. And we may do things that may seem like the right thing to do, but later realize that it wasn't right at all. We're going to make mistakes. There is no doubt about it. I mean, I make mistakes. To be honest with you, there are times I'm here preaching the Word of God, and then I go back and I'll listen to it, and I, or I go back through my notes and I'm like, Oh my goodness, why did I say that? Why did I, why, why did I, you know, that, that makes no sense at all, or that's c- completely incorrect, and, I'm, and, I, and I, I feel like I, 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 I've blown it. We're going to make mistakes. But does God, is God, like, going to kick us out, and is God going to be like, you know what, forget you, I don't need you anymore, you're, you know, you're a screw-up? Again, absolutely not. Did Jesus regret making Peter an apostle after he had just rebuked him? Not at all. No, not at all. Neither does God regret making you one of his own, even when you mess up. He knows we're not perfect. He knows that we're going to mess up. He makes room for our humanity. Again, he understands us. He knows you in particular, he knows what goes through your mind. He knows what's in your heart. But as I've told my children before, as I've told you know, everyone that I've known, when we blow it, when we mess up, when we fall, what are we, what are we supposed to do as Christians? What are we supposed to do? Do we stay down? Do we remain in that condition? No, we get up, ask for forgiveness, learn from it, and move on. The last thing God wants us to do is wallow in our mistakes and remain in the perpetual state of self-condemnation. And what that means is that he doesn't want us to stay down. He doesn't want us to be in the mud. He doesn't want us to stay in the dirt. He doesn't want us to, you know, to, to, to shed tears forever. It, you know, when we mess up, yeah, it's, it's going to hurt. But he wants us. He just wants, he wants us to come to him and say, I'm sorry, Lord, for messing this up. Help me get over this. Help me give me the strength to, to move on, move forward. And he will. He's faithful, and he will. He knows us. He knows our makeup. Like Peter, there will be times we'll be on the mountaintops. There will be times that we're up in the peaks and we're doing great and we've said the right things, we've done the right things. But there will also be times when we've dug ourselves into a hole. 
where we've messed up and said something that, or done something that is completely uh, wrong, embarrassing, just whatever it may be, sinful. God knows. See, wherever we're at, Jesus Christ will never stop from being our Savior and Redeemer. He will never stop from being our Savior and Redeemer. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you for your word, for this example that you've given us in Peter. Thank you, Lord, for reminding us of who we are, who you are. And how we're just not perfect. How we just, we won't be perfect until we're, we're just face to face with you. Now, Lord, if there's anybody here that has, has, has doubts, doesn't know who, just aren't, isn't sure of who they are, Lord, touch them. Open their eyes and their and their hearts to see who you really are. And may they come to you. May they come to you with surrendered hearts, Lord. So that they may see you and understand you and love you. Change lives this morning. If you've never accepted Christ. And if you want to know him, in the quietness of your heart, just ask him. Ask him to come into your life. Understand who you are and that you're a sinner and that sin has separated you. Come to the cross. And see Jesus. And understand that he died. He's there on the cross and died for your sins. Ask him for forgiveness and he will. He'll forgive you for all your sins. Come to know Christ today. And watch him see as he changes your life forever. Lord, move. Move within this room. Move within our lives. Move within our city, our nation, our world, Lord. We want to come to you. We want to know you. we just want to be your children. Thank you again, Lord. We ask that you bless this, the rest of this evening or the rest of this day. Be with us as we enjoy this time of fellowship. Praise you and honor you in Jesus' name. Amen.